welcome back to Contextualize. We didn't shut it down. What? It took so long since <laughs> yeah. our last podcast. Oh, <laughs> yeah. No, we're we're still here. Somebody told me at church, like, hey, I know somebody who listens to the podcast every week. And I was like, well, that's funny. Because we don't do it every week. They must uh, <laughs> re-listen to some of those. Although it does kind of help when you upload a sermon every once in a while between. We still have content. That's right. That's right. You know. Well, one way or another, we're back, and uh, we're here. We're going to jump into Second Samuel twenty-two. Here we have a real pod- can. We, can I just give a shout out to the uh-huh. new microphone? Yeah, yeah. There you go. We have a new microphone. Yeah. We this it's for real now. We don't have headphones on. We're not in a soundproof room yet. That yeah, I don't know if we'll ever make it there. But usually, I run downstairs, pick up the stuff from the yeah band closet, you know, music room. But now we just—it's just a podcast microphone made for this, and so we had to do what fifty episodes before we justified. We felt we could buy a microphone. We're over fifty. We're like, are we really? Wow. Yeah. Something like that. Welcome back. This episode brought to you by Wallace. It's his Not name. Wallace Subaru. No, 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 no. no. <laughs> Wallace is the city engineer. He's a believer. He's awesome. He's assigned to this project. And yeah. he walks the streets around our church all the time. And if you've noticed, the sidewalks that are done first are in front of Christ Community Church. Yeah. And he has made a commitment He's that he will, he will do everything he can within the timeline given to him to make sure that we are able to be accessing our building. So, yeah. It may be slow, but it's not Wallace's fault. Wallace is the man. Yeah. So. Yeah. There you go. Thanks, Wallace. And Wallace is a layperson. I don't know where he goes to church, but I will say this. Last time he was in the building, we were talking about our preaching workshops and stuff, and he brought up Ezekiel 34 about the shepherds. Yeah. So here's a man who's an engineer working in John City. He knows his Bible well enough to talk about the importance of shepherds in the Bible according to Ezekiel 34. That's pretty cool. Yeah, it is. I don't know much about engineering, so I couldn't talk to him about his day job, but he talked to me about... <laughs> you want things to not break. Yeah. you got to build them well enough to not break. So, so small talk to start out. i got a question for AJ. We, we mentioned Shoot. two weeks ago, whenever we did the last podcast, about yeah. just reading the Bible through. I said that I do it sometimes, not every year, but I, I kind of alternate or whatever. Yeah. Um, you reading the Bible through again this year? Yeah. Okay. Uh, for the most part, yeah. So when you read through the Bible in a year, just to give more context for those listening, what's that like? Yeah. Well, 20, 20 hours of reading each day? <laughs> no. Uh, I'm not that slow. Um, no, I, you know, growing up and even, I think even into college, I mean, I, I don't think I ever, to any successful metric, uh, read through the Bible in a year, you know, year-ish is, is kind of how that often ends up being. Um, but I would, I would often just study a book or passage, that kind of thing. But I don't know, maybe five years ago is when, um, I started thinking about like, you know, it, there's, there's a lot of benefit to just reading through the Bible and you're not, not honing in on a specific passage and sitting that, which there's a lot of benefit to that too. Um, but just kind of go more like big picture and taking a lot in. So this year, um, I've been using... And I'm actually on month 12 of my plan right now. So, like, I didn't start in January. I started Told you, he reads 20 hours a day. He's on month 12 already. <laughs> no, I, I started last uh, June, I guess. Okay. Uh, and so I'm on the final month. I'm using one that the Navigators has, and you just read four different books. And the, the way I've done it, uh, and this, I found this helpful, because um, in, in my ideal world, 
I want to do this every morning, but in actual my life, uh, I don't make it every morning. I don't sit down and get, and, and you know, it's like 20 minutes of reading and then, you know, pray on both sides of that too. But with this plan, um, I'll read and when I get to a new month, I just jump to the next month. And so like there may be like last month, I actually missed the book of Daniel. So I'm not reading completely through the Bible, but I read through Ezekiel. That was one of the books I was on, made it to the end of that, but um, just didn't make the days for Daniel in the last month. But this month, you just start with a new month and you just keep oh, going. Oh, so if you're behind, you don't stay behind. You're saying the next month when you get there, you jump to where you just jump to that month. That makes yeah. more sense. And that's and I say that because I know for me and for others, and like that's a practical help because if you get behind on some sort of like read through the Bible in a year plan, like you just feel buried, you know. And I'm glad you brought that because like that's been a, that's been a real help. Just like you know what the 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 goal is to spend time with the Lord regularly, daily, and to you know grow in my my understanding and knowledge of the Bible and grow in faith through that. But like if you miss a day, like that's not like that's okay. And so just get back at it. Uh, you know the that's next. Good, time, that's so. good counsel. I I really would try to read more on a Monday, Tuesday to get ahead, uh-huh. if possible. And then I would typically take Saturday, Sundays off. Yeah. When I would do it, if I could stay, if I could do that rhythm. Yeah. Um, and if I'm behind, I would try to catch up on Saturday, Sunday. But um, that's that's kind of refreshing to think that there's not rules to follow. There's a guiding right a plan. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Well, here's a question I would ask next is. You know the Bible decently. Yeah. Is there new stuff? <laughs> yeah. I mean, so so uh, every year, like, oh, I've read the story before, yeah. or I've read it ten times, yeah. or whatever. Yeah. Yeah, I there. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and there's parts where I'm like, man, have I ever read that before? Because it doesn't like that that passage. I don't feel like I've ever read it, but uh, I'm sure I have. Because you know, uh, but I think one of the other neat things with. So the past couple of years that I've done a read through the Bible plan, it's been like four books at the same time. And it's not, it's not like a huge section of any of those, but just you're reading four different sections of the Bible all at the same time. I think one of the most helpful things is seeing different connections from those books. And so I agree with you that. have two examples. One, a couple of years ago, I was doing one and was reading Hebrews and Leviticus at the same time, which are both so much about sacrifice and worship and being clean, cleansed before the Lord. And to read them together, I mean, practically helps you read Leviticus. That's pretty cool. That's very cool. <laughs> um, and now, just right now, um, last week, as I was finishing up last month, um, I was actually a little off on the days. Like, I was ahead on one of the books and behind on the other. But I read John 10 about Jesus being the Good Shepherd. At the same time, I read Ezekiel 34, which you just mentioned earlier. <laughs> About Jesus God. the Good Shepherd, yeah. and then there's bad shepherds and, there's and bad shepherds, and God foretelling Him coming as, a, and that was just it's really helpful to see those together. Uh, so that's I think that's one of the most helpful things is seeing different parts of the Bible and how they explain each other and shed light on each other. That's awesome. So cool. Well, that's there good. You go. Well, we are going not through the Bible. We're going through Second Samuel, and we are close to the end. We are. In fact, we're close to the end, not just of the book, but of the life of David. In fact, after this chapter, chapter 23 starts and says, these are the last words of David. So these are the words before the last words of David. And so chapter 22, there's a song that David sings. Pretty profound lyrics. Yeah. And long. 
super long. We're not going to go through all of the dense, different stanzas and verses and the different types of poetic parallelism and all that stuff. But it's he basically narrative breaks into Hebrew poetry. Yeah. yeah. Right. Yeah. And it's in the form of a song. We were talking right before we got on. It's interesting that in verse one of twenty-two, David, the summary, the narrator says David spoke to the Lord. So mm-hmm. that's important. Yeah. These are not words to people. These are words of a song to the Lord on the day when the Lord delivered him from the hand of all his enemies and from the hand of Saul. Yeah. So when I read that to you, what stands out? Well, I mean, it's, well, one, like you said, he's speaking to the Lord. Like he's, he's singing, speaking to the Lord. So this is a prayer. But secondly, I mean, it says when the Lord delivered him from his enemies and from Saul. And as, I mean, we know the story. We've been talking about it. Saul's been gone. For a little while, yeah. Now, and David's been dealing with. I mean, it, most most recently it was the Philistines, uh, but he's been dealing with a bunch of stuff in his own household, and the havoc there. Um, so, yeah, I mean, Saul's been gone for a while, but it, I mean, it seems like this this song encapsulates all of his David's life, life uh, right? There's a finality to it, yeah. And actually, the finality of the first verse. David sings this because he's delivered from all his enemies, finally. We know he's been delivered from the hand of Saul for a time, and yet there's something about how even the nagging next generation of Saul's family or Saul's loyal servants, they did last beyond Saul. And so just the finality of the narrator's description in verse 1, but then verse 2 the through to 2 to 4 would be, a section I will, I'll just read it because it's yeah. so beautiful. Yeah, do it. Um, the Lord is my rock and my fortress, and my deliverer, my God, my rock, and whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold and my refuge, my savior. You save me from violence. I call upon the Lord who's worthy to pray, be praised, and I am saved from my enemies. It's present tense, which I love. Yeah. But it's got the same sort of finality mm-hmm. as verse one. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's this ultimate, all-encompassing deliverance. Um, and thinking about, I mean, song, it, it just it make does make me think some of Exodus fifteen, where as God rescues His people, they cross the Red Sea, and then Moses and the people break out in song of deliverance. And so, right, this singing of God delivering His people is a natural recurring thing uh, throughout the Scriptures. Um, he so. knows he knows his time is short. And he knows his God's been faithful. And he just erupts yeah. in singing. Yeah. The the language of what I just read is really important, though. And, and maybe we can, there's no sense in delaying it too much. Because if you were at Christ Community when we preached through 1 Samuel 2, uh-huh. 1 Samuel. Yeah. In chapter 2, Hannah prays. And she starts out her song. And she it's a, it's a prayer after God gives her a child. And he looks upon her affliction. And she says, there's none holy like the Lord, none besides you. There's no rock like our God. So now, the beginning of 1 Samuel, you have a song about God being the rock and the deliverer of one who's desperate. Mm-hmm. End of chapter of, of, of 2 Samuel, now you have the king that Hannah was prophesying would come, and he's saying, my God has been a rock. Mm-hmm. My God has been a rock. He's been my fortress. But then the word horn... Yeah. is there. Right. And the the word horn is also in 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 10. Right. Um, it's the word power, but it's also the word horn. Uh-huh. 
um, that the Lord will exalt the horn of his anointed. And so you have it here as well. So there are things at the beginning of 1 Samuel that show up the same song language at the end of 2 Samuel, which is like bookends to the whole narrative that's encapsulated by a lot of people. And that's, I think it's helpful. What, as we're reading through this book and we notice that, like, how does that help us understand this passage or the book? Like, what what do we do with that observation? Like, how does that, what do we, where do we take that? How does it give us understanding and whatnot of this passage? In some ways, this is a fulfillment. Yeah. Because if David is going to be the king through whom the promise is going to be made that the world would know the righteousness and the reign of God through this king. But we know David's not been perfectly righteous, so we know that it's going to be David's offspring. Mm-hmm. You still had Hannah in 1 Samuel 2 as one of the very first individuals in the whole Bible yeah. to have basically said, not only has God looked at my affliction, but he's going to send a king who's going to reign righteously across the whole earth. That's chapter 2, verse 10. I remember that like it was yesterday. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth. He will give strength to his king, and he will exalt the power or the horn of his anointed. And now his anointed... Remember, there was no kingship when Hannah said that. Yeah. Right? I mean, Saul, right. had, the people hadn't asked for Saul yet. And now when the anointed of the Lord sings a song at the end of his life, he says, God has been my horn, he's been my shield, and he's faithful to his king. Yeah. And so I think it's just the trajectory, not just of the book and the meaning of this, but Hannah pointed well beyond David when she said, this king's going to be the king over the whole earth. Mm-hmm. David is actually going to end this prayer. Maybe we should even jump to that. I know we haven't, there's a no. ton to cover. But the very last lines of this entire song chapter 22 verse uh, 51 David says great salvation God brings to his king he shows steadfast love to his anointed to David and his offspring forever Forever. so again the the whole of first and second Samuel is not just about the king that would be set up in that time and place Mm -hmm. it's not about Saul the people's Mm -hmm. choice of king it's not just about David God's choice of a more faithful king. It's about God being the king who's going to set up his kingdom on earth through a righteous king. Yeah. Yeah. And so, yeah, tons of meaning. Yeah, that's great. Um, yeah, and that's, yeah, I think if, if you just, and we've been marching through this, but if, if you just popped in to 2 Samuel 22, you can get a lot just from reading this song in itself. But tracing it back shows that really these two books all together are about what God's doing and raising up his king, which is David here, but but it reaches beyond that, right? It's more ultimate. The, the, there needs to be more than just David, and so uh, I think that is very helpful. Um, a side note, by the way, that I meant to mention at the beginning, is this is Psalm 18, or Psalm 18 is this. I don't know which way to say it, but right, if you go read Psalm 18, you're going to read the same thing as what we have here. And so um, this is David's song, and it's it's recorded there in in chapter 18 of the Psalms. So. Yeah, I would even say that we're not going to touch every part of this song. It's right. very long, but I would encourage those listening, as AJ just talked about, sometimes to do a morning Bible reading, you just keep, you know, read four things at a time and you pray. And you do that. Sometimes it's good to slow down. Mm-hmm. If you don't have something you're reading right now, this is a great devotional thing. You could spend yeah. a week on this right. chapter. Right. There's so much. Yeah, because, I mean, David's going to confess his sin. He's going to say, I was distressed. He's going to say death was presented to me. He's going to talk about God being angry at him at times. Yeah. 
um, the glory of God who thundered from heaven, who reminded David of his authority at different times in different ways. It's all here. One of the things that I found interesting that's here is in verse 20. David is going to talk about the way God rescued him. He brought me to a broad place. He rescued me because he delighted in me. Yeah. And you think of David all through his life, essentially having very high understanding of what it meant to be the Lord's anointed. I am in the role that I'm in because God delighted in me enough to choose me to be in this role. David has rested in that. That's why David wouldn't stretch out his hand against Saul. The Lord's anointed delights the Lord according to the Lord's desires, not because of anything David's done. So just to think that in the core of this man who went through so many trials, he went through his own son, well, his own sin with Bathsheba. Mm -hmm. He went through all the consequences of his own son Absalom trying to take him out. Mm -hmm. Obviously, all the things with Saul and Saul's household, all these hard things, and yet he would say... The reason God rescued me from all that is he delighted, he delighted in me. In me. Yeah. That's a like very gospel-centric or gospel-connected thought, feeling, whatever you want to call yeah. it. Yeah, and the, I mean, the, the verses that precede that are, are really dark and desperate. And um, I mean, the, the challenge and destruction he, he describes before, the, the distress, to use the word he says in verse 7, is, is pretty extreme. And then God, you know, coming and, and rescuing him and, and delighting him in, in that. Uh, and that's, I mean, that's helpful for us because, right, as we've often done in, in this, I mean, David's a, a type of Christ. And so we can think of places like John, uh, Jesus' baptism and Jesus uh, in his transfiguration where God says, this is my beloved son. Um, kind of yeah. use David's word, like this is the one in whom I delight. Um, but then, right, when we can go, on the other side of that, too, that God delights in us as his people uh, in the same way that he delights in his son, which is just radical to consider. But uh, we, we can we can read verse 20 about us, right? Right. God brought me out into a broad place. He has rescued me because he has delighted in me. And I can't explain that. It's beautiful. but And, and so here's one of the blessings and challenges of these Old Testament songs. When we read them, we want to sing them Mm -hmm. as if they are true of ourselves, which is the power of them. It's amazing. Whether they're an angry and precatory song where someone's saying, I don't understand why those around me are benefiting and I'm suffering, right? Right. Or it's unfair, God. I mean, the Psalms are just so honest with raw emotions. So you have, this could be our prayer. But then I love the way the Psalm goes on in verse 21, all the way through verse 25. You almost Mm -hmm. read this and you're like, well, actually... That doesn't sound as much like me. It actually doesn't sound a ton like David. It seems like David's describing the righteousness of his uh, of who God's anointed was supposed to be. Yeah. Right? So verse 21, The Lord dealt with me according to my righteousness, according to the cleanness of my hands. He rewarded me. There must be something going on inside of David's heart where he knows, because throughout his life he knows against the Lord he sinned. Mm-hmm. He's done what's evil in God's sight. He's, mm-hmm. uh, he's a murderer. He's an adulterer. There's elements of David's life where there's nothing... But uncleanness, mm-hmm. we could say, how does he say that God did this according to me? Um, and yet, there are ways in which David obeyed God's law. Yeah. He sought to be holy. Yeah. He sought to be blameless. He kept himself from guilt, as he says. But I have a little note in my own pencil here in my Bible that verse 21 to 25, boy, it's almost like it's written by the, the pen of the 
king who was called to be righteous in God's sight, but who didn't quite meet his own mark. Yeah. yeah. And it just doesn't make me think of me. It makes me think way past David to Christ. To Christ. Yeah, and I think we can see this as as Christ speaking his words through David. Yeah. You know, thousand years before he would be on this earth. Um, and right, I mean, this is the, you know, we, we think of in Peter where he says the spirit of Christ was in them, right, foreseeing Christ. And so God's at work to speak these words um, even before Christ is on the scene. But, um, right, Christ is the one who was clean, was, was righteous, who was blameless, who kept himself from guilt. Um, the one that the Lord has rewarded according to his righteousness. I mean, that, that has to be Christ. And the, the other thought, and I think it's, it's a different angle, but it complements is thinking of Psalm 51. So right, Psalm 51 um, is, is David's confession after Bathsheba, which I mean, is, is a pretty climactic sin in David's life. Um, but in that, in verse 2, he says, Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity. Cleanse me from my sin. And then, like verse 10, Create me a clean heart. Renew a right spirit within me. And so there's even in David himself, not only David, the type of Christ, if that makes sense, David's cleanliness comes in his repentance. Yep. And and that's helpful for us to see too. A hundred percent. Right. We, we're going to mess up. I mean, that David messed up. He sinned. We're going to mess up. We're going to sin. But there is a clean, a cleanliness we have in repentance because of Jesus, who was the one who never sinned. Sure. And so you, you kind of see the, the two merging together there. David has had his sins forgiven. Mm-hmm. So these words are true of David. Yeah. They just can't be put in the realm of his performance has earned God's reward. Yeah. Right. Yeah. That that's cannot be what he means by cleanliness. He right. cannot mean I never sinned. Right. When the verse twenty six with the merciful, you show yourself merciful. Like he he knows God's it's God's mercy. Yeah. <laughs> so true. Well, maybe maybe we could take a different. I don't know. I, I we we made it halfway. Okay. Well, that, and that's no, we fine. can we can touch on the rest of it. Well, we know. can, but I, maybe instead of touching on the rest of it, I'd say read it. Yeah. To those listening, but here's what I think is worthy of touching on it. Imagine already anticipate words you would write if you were a poet hmm. when you say the fight's over. Yeah. I'm done. I'm done fighting. My enemies have been addressed. I lie down in peace. I've been led to a, a peaceful place. And what do I say? What will I say? Mm-hmm. What can I say? And I think I can say this carefully because it's unplanned, but I told Corey the other day, I mean, it's been seven years at Christ Community. I hope I'm here for another 21 and I, for as long as I can serve. But I told her, I said, you know, so many people I love at church, like I'll be, I'll be doing their funerals. Mm-hmm. Just anticipating right. that. Yeah. If the Lord allows it and he wills for me to... What's it like to sit with somebody and this is the mind that they have when they talk about God's faithfulness? I, I just I just want to think through like the, gut, the guttural feeling of David, uh-huh. his deep faith here, 
and his confidence that the long life he's had of running from Saul, of dealing with enemies, of having to posture himself. He's supposed to read the law of God every day of his life. Mm -hmm. Did he? Mm -hmm. Was he as faithful as he could have been? I'll have all those thoughts in my life. I imagine you will too. Mm -hmm. Everybody who's at that end of life moment, who's able to be cerebral enough to think about it. I mean, there's going to be things that I say, I did what I was called to do. I did the best I could. And I also Mm -hmm. regret deeply what I didn't do. What would be the song we would write? Yeah. And I think this is just a a very beautiful psalm of faith. Yeah. Psalm of faith. Yeah. Well, and I think to go with that and to pick out just some of the summary things David says, right? He acknowledges who the Lord is as his horn, as his rescuer. He acknowledges the distress in the confrontation, in the adversity he's faced in life. And we can think of that. And he acknowledges how the Lord has met him in that, how the Lord has rescued him in that. He acknowledges the Lord's mercy and kind of the, the part that we haven't uh We'll just summarize now. We haven't talked about, but I mean, he, he talks about the Lord's enabling him in all of his life. And for David in his role, that's been much as a warrior, yeah. as the kingly warrior who has cast down enemies with military might and has delivered his people. And so for us, as we think about that, again, we can, we can apply that to Christ who accomplishes our victory and defeats our enemies. But I think for us too, in our own, th- taking your thought of, could we sing this on our deathbed, so to speak. Um, I mean, can we say like God has advanced his kingdom against his enemies through our faithfulness, through our weakness at times, and through our work with our our family or in in our workplaces or with our neighbors or whatever? You know, do we see the Lord advancing his kingdom against enemy ground and gaining ground through us? And And give him credit and full credit. I mean, he gave me feet like a deer. Yep. He gave me... Arms that know how to bend a bow of bronze. Yeah, he, he trained my hands for war. Yeah. Like he's looking back and he's saying, I was given the capacity to fulfill a calling God gave to me. Yeah. And he fulfilled it. Yeah. And it. Wow. And any and he closes it with right that stuff, you know, no, notes about the nations. Right? I will praise you, O Lord, among the nations. Great salvation. He brings to his king and shows steadfast love to his anointed, to David and his offspring forever. Yeah, so. So, what do you do when you see your home fall apart and others see it? What do you do when it didn't fall apart once, but then the consequences of it keep assaulting you and you're the king of the land? Uh And there's just many ministers of the gospel, people I know, just like it all fell apart. You have this man now say, blessed be my rock who held me, he held my home, he held his kingdom. My rock has been the Lord throughout. You want to know what kept me alive or kept me standing Mm -hmm. in the midst of what Mm -hmm. my son Absalom did? Or I mean, you could just go to the Lord's my rock. Yeah. When I slept with my head on a rock. Yeah. The Lord is my rock. And I, I just hope and pray. That that's what we believe we can say. Yeah. We will say. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, uh, I I didn't notice it as much until just now, but I mean, verse two and three, we've got the Lord has rocked twice. Yep. Verse 47, we have the Lord has rocked twice. Yeah. So 
There's a lot about the Lord. And the that's the word a, that Hannah used at the beginning of her prayer. Yeah. He's my rock and my yeah. refuge. So yeah. essentially that's just, this is a call for, I would encourage everybody to read it, pray about it, think about yeah. it. But, but can I say what David is saying here? Yeah. Um, that the Lord is his rock. And, and do I see that at the very end of his prayer, he says, God is not just my rock, but he is full of steadfast love. He's going to show that love to my offspring forever. And he's, he's forecasting God, showing his steadfast love through Jesus, the son of David. Yeah. Which is exactly what we look at Sunday. Yeah. Amen. Good deal. Until next time. The Lord is your rock.